0: Listener production. I find it really tough to speak up and I find it really tough to articulate so many things when they happen because it brings up past trauma of being quiet and, and shushed or getting a little slap on the wrist for being too much and, and not staying in your lane. So I think it's that feeling, that unbelonging that has kind of crept in at times that I wish that it wouldn't.
1: Hi, I'm Jess Rowe and this is the Jess Rowe Big Talk Show a podcast that skips the small talk and goes big and deep. From love to loss and everything in between, I want to show you a different side of people who seem to have it all together in these raw and honest conversations about the things that matter. I don't know about you, but I really crave connected conversations. So I'm going to dig deep to give you a new window into the souls of the people we're curious to get to know and understand. There might be tears as well as laughter as we celebrate the real life flaws and vulnerabilities that make us human. Indian Australian actor Pallavi Sharda is an international film star, first making a mark in Bollywood and now in Hollywood. She's starring in Wedding Season on Netflix, where she's the first South Asian woman to lead a mainstream studio rom-com film. Palavi is passionate about making space for actors of colour in Australia and globally. I first met Pallavi a few years ago when she came on Studio 10, and I was struck by her warmth and intellect I wanted to talk with her about what it was like growing up in Melbourne and what motivates her to make brave decisions in her life. By the way, she is my husband's hall pass. How are you, Jess? Oh, wonderful. Pallavi, it is so wonderful to see your beautiful glowing face because the last time I saw you was in Australia. You came onto Studio 10 and I just loved meeting and talking with you. It was incredible.
0: Oh, I just remember how supportive you were. You know, the whole time I was a bit nervous and you kept going, don't worry, you've got this. And I just was like, thank God that Jess is here.
1: Well, I was sort of in awe of you because you are quite someone. You are an absolute superstar. And you've recently done this amazing movie, Wedding Season, which I love, My husband and I watched it. He has a massive crush on you, let me just say. (laughs) Wait till I tell my parents that. They're going to be like, who watched your film? Oh, my God. He does. He's like, oh, my God, are you interviewing her today? Can you just please tell her that I think she's amazing? After you, she is the most beautiful woman.
0: Oh my goodness, that's just made my day. And I've just, it's so nice to hear an Australian voice, but to hear that Australian icons are discussing my movie is, it's my, it's my ego's inflated a bit right now.
1: <laughs> well, it should be because it's a great movie and it's a rom com, but also it's very moving. And there were times I felt quite teary
0: watching it. I'm glad, you know, my dad said that. My father's a film buff and I just had all these messages from him being like, I did not expect it to get so emotional and I've been tearing up and, you know, that's what we wanted. We wanted it to be more than just, you know, a frivolous account of an Indian Jersey family because I think humanising this community is what's really important to the authenticity of the story and I think that's what people have responded to.
1: Tell me a bit more about your dad because what did that mean to you having him react in that way to something that is so close to your heart?
0: Oh, wow. Well, I think, you know, this film obviously in many respects represents the diaspora at large and Indian families that have grown up away from, you know, the homeland that we all long for and nostalgic for in many ways. And I think just the fact that the story goes through the journey of the parents and pays homage to the migrant journey is something which was so important for me to watch my parents see themselves reflected in that somewhat. And I think the two large conversations towards the end of the film in the third act that my character has with first her father and then her mother I remember tearing up while we were shooting because I thought there are so many women I know that haven't had this conversation yet with their own parents and breaking down the barriers and being able to speak in an emotional language, which hasn't always been available to kids that grew up in migrant backgrounds. I I do a lot of writing about the theme of intercultural living and that duality. And one of the things I've always noted is, you know, it wasn't like how was your day? Did anyone upset you? How are you feeling? It was, it was very practical and pragmatic the way we grew up because there was survivalism into growing up in Australia and anywhere that you grow up where it's not your home country or your parents' home country. And I'm going through that reckoning with my family now, where we're all adults and you can relate to your parents and their traumas and their journeys, and it humanises the experience for everyone. So I think it's great that it did the job of breaking down that barrier and allowing ourselves to feel reflected. And it's, you know,
1: mainstream Hollywood movie streaming on Netflix, the biggest streaming service in the
0: world. I know, it's crazy. I don't know if this is statistically true, but I'm just going to put it out there. I think I might be the first South Asian lead in a Hollywood rom-com. Oh, it is
1: a moment, isn't it? It's something that you need to cherish.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I've been in LA since it came out and it's been tough being away from my family, I guess, during it. And it always seems to happen that whenever the biggest things that I do come out, I'm sort of on my own. So you you rely on the overstimulation that you get online and through social media. But this time I've felt that pride. Like my dad sends me every day, he sends me copied and pasted messages on all of his social media, his LinkedIn from all of his like college friends and the alumni associations that he's associated with his students. I did a keynote for his students last week on Zoom um, talking about barrier breaking and the path forward and finding your way post-university And it's just been incredible to see that the ripple effect that that can have, particularly for people from minority communities who haven't always felt that there's a path that's set out in precedent for them, which is, you know, once upon a time how I felt. So if this can just be a little beacon for other people, then my work is done.
1: (laughs) Oh, your work is well and truly done. But let's talk a little bit about how you felt And how you felt growing up, I mean, you were a genius. You were a child genius, (laughs) weren't you?
0: (laughs) I definitely started university way too young. Now, I mean, in hindsight, I know how desperate I was to just get to the next thing and experience life really quickly so that I could find that you know journey where I was exploring my passion and I felt like there were these boxes that I had to tick before I was allowed to do that and I think subconsciously that came from being from a very academic Indian family but now my dad always says to me yeah we were really shocked when you chose to go to law school because you're always an artist I'm like now you tell me (laughs) I'm like, why didn't you stop me then? Um, but I'm glad. I'm glad for the perspective and for the network and the, the brilliant minds that I come home to in Melbourne. You know, all of my uni mates are doing exceptional things. You know, many of them are counselors in government, and um one of them has just gone and done a master's of nuclear disarmament. So I get a lot of stimulation from that cohort and it roots me to Australia in so many ways, especially because. The India-Australia link is so based on education and what we can offer. And both of my parents have been professors in Australia. So I think, weirdly, that whole tertiary system is home for me in many ways. I grew up, on my sick days, I was hanging out at universities when I was a kid. So I kind of almost had no choice but to do that and get that done. But you didn't follow the traditional path because even though
1: you were a brainiac, you decided no, I want to be a creative soul, I am a creative soul, I'm going to India to act. But you didn't really tell your parents that though, did you?
0: No, I was very sneaky. I was actually sitting in a law lecture at Melbourne Uni and, you know, the bug had bit me. I can't even remember why it had bit me, but I think... I was hoping actually to do broadcast journalism when I was at uni because I did a law degree and a media and communications degree. And unfortunately, you know, a decade ago was a time when there was still a bit of a paucity of opportunity for people of colour. And that had hit me as a bit of a gut punch because I really believed that all of the hard work I'd put in and, you know, the skills that I was developing and I'd worked hard for had a natural progression to career success or career opportunities. And I didn't expect a ceiling to come crashing down on me. But then when I paused to look around, I was like, oh, I guess that makes sense. You know, I don't really, there's no precedent for this. And it didn't actually dishearten me or upset me. I just thought, okay, so now what do I do? So I thought if I want to be a journalist, I should go to India. So that's what sparked it. And then I just took it like... The The next next level.
1: level. But before we go to that next level, I want to pick up on what you were saying about the ceiling crashing down in Australia and what it was that some people said to you.
0: Well, I was in I think maybe the third year of uni and I did a course. It was a private broadcast journalism course where you learn to be a presenter and you do your reel. And my teacher at the time sort of said to me, this is so great you know however you're not able to dye your hair blonde so I think you're gonna have trouble sending in this reel and maybe you could send it into SBS and then I went to do drama school part-time or maybe that was before and a similar thing was said to me someone said you know, Pallavi, I don't think you're going to have much luck seeing yourself on screen in Australia. And then she looked at the Sri Lankan girl also in the class and just said, you too, darling, you know, it's going to be hard. And I'll always note that it wasn't with malice and it wasn't to be mean. I think it was just talking about the status quo that we were walking into. And it was something where I guess in a way you had to make the quick decision about where you're going to settle, where you're going to sit on the sidelines and do the work in Australia. Although I didn't even understand that I was so young. I didn't even, when there's no pathway, you think there is no pathway. So you look for where you might find something that is possible. And that's where I started to turn my mind to Asia. And that is what I find fascinating about you,
1: that you just keep on going and you have this steely determination. And this extraordinary talent and radiance
0: and that just keeps moving you forward. Thank you for those words. they I mean, a lot. Yeah, I think, you know, I find a lot of joy in the everyday things and I think I'm re- really lucky that I was blessed at a young age with a strong spiritual compass and I've been able to come back to that whenever things have gotten tough and it sounds clichéd, but honestly, for me now, even if I never saw myself on screen again, I'd be okay with it because I know there'd be something else that would unfold for me to do and to, to put my time and my energy towards, you know, I had a very influential grandma in my life. My father's mum was an ascetic who was a philosopher And she actually lived a very non-conventional life, a non-conformist life and lived her last 30 years in meditation. And I had a strong feminine figure in my life who was non-conformist and was maverick in her own way. And I will say that my mum in many ways is that way too, because she never quite, she never quite settled, even though she was straight and narrow. She did a PhD in Perth at UWA, ended up being a teacher and professor in Australia. But she always knew that her heart wasn't quite settled and she found ways to take her career back to India and find ways to find happiness. And I think that that's something that has been gifted to me somewhere. I just know that for me, transcendence is in performing and, in communicating, whether or not it's on stage or on screen. It's like, how do we keep this dialogue open? How do we create empathy through intercultural communication? And that can be any kind of storytelling. It could be, you know, two people having a chat on the street. That's just as fulfilling for me if I get to share in something with someone. So knowing that that's my anchor, I think, is really helpful.
1: And storytelling, as you say, it is so powerful but I love that notion that you have about transcendence. Tell mm. me more about that. Is that
0: how you feel when you dance? <laughs> yes. That's definitely what I was chasing, I think, and I've been distilling this a lot in my mind just being in LA right now and you know at a real inflection point in my career I'm doing a lot of thinking. I've had in a sense a few careers already in a way and I I do kind of go through this re-emergence or you know kind of reincarnation every few years to see where the art needs to go and what I need to do and I had to remind myself of why I came to be doing this and that was because as a young girl you put me on the dance floor, everything else just faded away. And I felt what people feel, that ecstasy, that feeling of oneness with something bigger than yourself. I didn't know how to explain it at the time. Many people find that in prayer. Many people find that in, you know, um, meditation. But for me, it was through movement and losing myself to beat and music. And I chased that, that feeling more than anything else. So now I'm just remembering that I don't have to make movies for the rest of my life if they're not giving me that. And it's a really privileged place in which to speak because I know that so many don't get to chase that. So in a way, it's sort of like just following a spiritual path and finding those things that are in Hinduism. It's called your dharma. And, um, you know, it's what you can contribute that allows for other people to also benefit And that gives you that sense of freedom as you're doing it. So I'm very anchored in that notion.
1: And also too, I love that idea of that notion of what is right for you right now. And that isn't always going to be the case. What was right for you in the past, that worked then. What is working for you now is what's right for you. What would you say is right for you right in this moment?
0: Speaking to you, because it's giving me a very, very warm sense of that feeling of home. So, and I mean, it's such a good reminder of how, even though I might have just done a really successful film here, you know, not losing a grasp of where my roots are and why it is that it's important to be an artist. And a big part of why it's important for me is because I believe in Indian-Australian representation and making sure that whatever platform I've managed to create, I use it in order to create more pathways for other people that haven't had those mentors and those precedents in front of them. Um, And that's the thing that's top of my mind right now. I've had a pretty convoluted journey to get here and it hasn't been very easy. So I think if there can be ease that's injected into the lives of others, whether they're artists or you know teachers, whatever they are, I think people from particularly from migrant backgrounds in Australia often don't have a lot of mentorship. And the level of privilege that I came from, I'm very lucky. I went to a private school. um you know, my dad made me sit for every scholarship exam in town before I got into one, but <laughs> Um, but nonetheless, I made it in and that privilege of education allowed for things to open up for me. But, you know, that's coming from a family who was well established in Australia. And my dad knew about the system and, you know, how he might be able to help his kids today. The population, particularly of the South Asian diaspora, is growing exponentially in Australia. I mean, the statistic is that Punjabi is the fastest growing language in the country And I don't think many people realise that Australia of tomorrow is going to look vastly different to the Australia of today. So for me, it's about using this work and creating art that can imbue this multicultural population with that strong sense of identity that is not polarised and where we... Are open to talking about difficult things, and people are accepting that it hasn't been really an easy run for those who have not come from the conventional background. And, you know, finally moving towards a place of healing there, because I know that that's impacted my life a lot and it continues to today. And I don't want to pretend that, you know, I'm above all of those societal nitty gritty things because they were very, very prevalent in my life. So that's the important thing today, I think.
1: There's a few things I want to pick up there. First of all, how has it impacted on your life?
0: I think, you know, once you're made to feel like you don't belong or you may not belong in the room, that feeling is very hard to shake off. And, you know, it was a baptism of fire for most kids who grew up in the 90s in Australia. And I think it's a global phenomenon. It's not just unique to Australia, I think when you have, you know, very anglicized host communities that bring in migrants for the sake of economic welfare, it creates sort of a role playing that happens where our parents are expected to do the right thing, be obedient, not muck up. And then you're also always feeling like you're on probation and it creates a sort of paranoia. And I, I remember, you know, my parents both have Indian accents. My mum's very eloquent and highly educated but sometimes her grammar mucks up and I used to always just be so stressed and worried for her and you know you'd think I hope no one's making fun of her at uni when she's teaching and I'd hear her practicing sometimes in the rearview mirror different words where the emphasis was on different syllables and things like that and I just know that that makes you constantly conscious of not playing your part well. And I think that's always stayed with me. And there were other cues that I received even in the workplace during uni when I worked at law firms and things like that, where I could tell that my role as a young Asian woman was to be very obedient and quiet and a good worker, whereas personality was sort of reserved for people that didn't look like me. You know, we were kind of expected to just do our job. And I think that that makes it really hard today to and you know people wouldn't believe it but I find it really tough to speak up and I find it really tough to articulate so many things when they happen because it brings up past trauma of being quietened and and shushed or getting a little slap on the wrist for being too much and and not staying in your lane so I think it's that that feeling that unbelonging that has has kind of crept in at times that I wish that it, it wouldn't.
1: I'm so sorry that you felt that way. But listening to you describe that, it's almost like now your life's work is to make sure that there isn't another young girl like you or a young boy in feeling that same way, feeling like the other or feeling like, oh, no, I have to fit a box when that isn't my box because you're well and truly out of your box.
0: Absolutely, everything feeds into that, whether it's as a writer, an actor, a dancer, you know, a person who's a neighbour, anything, any role that I partake in for me, it's all about building empathy and breaking down bridges and sometimes I have to have very tough conversations around that and I don't know whether it's good or bad that I have a law degree because... <laughs> because I can go into that mode where I'm like, all right, let's just call a spade a spade here. It's a benefit and a boon and also a curse because I think people don't expect that part of me to come out, or then they just view me as that, as a very hardened person who's just a social justice warrior and you know I think that's unfair as well because we can be light and shade we can be yin and yang and I like to be able to move between the two parts of myself or the multiple parts of myself but I think the fundamental problem and the hangover of having been grouped is that when you get grouped you are, you get viewed as that thing and then you are aware that you're influencing how other people that might look like you or be in that group will be regarded and in my case it's like all right well I don't want to be the difficult brown woman because that's then something that people become fearful of and then maybe they won't want more diversity on their team or they might think of it as problematic or too hard. And so it's a real tightrope to always
1: walk. How do you navigate that though? Because I also remember reading, you know, you didn't want to be, as you say, too difficult or, you know, too tough to work with or too much and I think almost for women often it is that don't be too much, when in fact, it's the too muchness that I think is wonderful.
0: I agree. I agree. I love, I feel like in all the women that I get along with best are all the women that might have at some point been called too much in their life. We have that spirit and that's, that's our feminine energy and that's who we're meant to be. But it's just been constricted for so long and controlled for so long. And I think, you know, in feminism, there are so many different strands and I think what's wonderful is that's why I love hearing you talk and then when I met you I was so blown away because often what I felt is that even if someone's a feminist or even if someone's with a a women's movement, they might not realise that there's a subgroup or there's an intersection there that's even more difficult or needs a little bit more attention or the fact that they're in a position of power to uplift other people and that's the communication that sometimes gets difficult because I don't think, I think that sometimes women are not aware of the differences that other people have gone through and I'm just being euphemistic now but, you know, I have colleagues who I was having coffee with a wonderful friend today and she also from Australia, works in the same industry, beautiful, beautiful woman and I we, we had this really frank conversation where I said... If we were at school together, I would have just been like, oh my God, I'm in awe of you. You are the coolest person in the world and we would never have been able to be friends. I was a girl with the monobrow, like the short brown girl that I thought I felt so unattractive to all the boys and no white boys would ever look at me in that light. And, you know, I, I grew up feeling unattractive to white men as you felt invisible as a child in that regard, or as a teenage girl, you know, in the way that your friends were not. And she was just Flabbergasted, and she went, you know, I would never have known that, and I would never have thought of that, and and I was like, but you know how much I love you for listening to me and respecting me while I say that, and holding space for me so I can have this conversation and living in my shoes for a little minute there, and walking away from this conversation, and maybe when you speak to a friend of yours that has also had a bit of minority consciousness in their life, that empathy will grow even further. So. It is that thing of finding more space for those conversations and, you know, sometimes they're possible and sometimes people are defensive and that's when it gets a little bit difficult.
1: But what I love about listening to you is you would keep going though and that's important though because we do grow and we find our voice and our power and listening to you and seeing you, I very much feel like you're in your power now. And almost mm. like the best is yet to come.
0: I hope so. It ain't over yet. <laughs> Although I was just speaking to my granddad, and I think he secretly was wondering if I was busy here getting a real job. So, <laughs> isn't that funny
1: though? It still creeps in, in terms of, you know, with the older generation thinking, oh, no, no, that's not a proper job. When in fact, what you do, it means so much to people. Not only does it bring people joy, We question ourselves. We question our place in the world. We are seen. We are heard. And I think that is a real privilege to do what you do.
0: Thank you. Yes, it is a privilege. And I I constantly am grateful and thankful. I wake up now and I'm very thankful. And I'm thankful that I was able to withstand what I have withstood. And I hope I have the courage to do so going forward because there's always little things that come up and what I love about the way we are able to speak today is the cultural zeitgeist allows for open hearts and vulnerability and I'm very vulnerable now wherever I go and with anyone I speak to whether it's producers, directors, a co-actor, The guy who's driving me from A to B, you know, the airport concierge, my agents. I think it can be overwhelming for the people with whom I'm speaking, but I've really learned that unless we all crack open our hearts, there's no scope for healing.
1: I want to take you back to your time in India. I've never been to India I know it's diverse and there are so many different languages and religions, but your time in Bollywood, because it it looks so glamorous and joyful and amazing. (laughs) What was it like for you, a young Aussie girl with a law degree, and then you, you suddenly land this role against a heartthrob and it catapults you into this next stratosphere?
0: Yeah, it was wild. It was really wild. And I remember my dad, again, just being like, I used to watch his father on screen, I used to watch his grandfather on screen and I can't believe it's my daughter up there, you know, in the Hoyts Water Gardens or wherever they're watching in High Point down in (laughs) western suburbs of Melbourne. And it was such a dualistic experience because there's on the one hand what's happening in Bombay where I think people were like, who's this girl? You know, she's come out of nowhere, which is not true. It'd been working and auditioning for a few years but people don't see that work right they just see that first big thing and I think what was really interesting was just being a fish out of water yes yet again and realizing that I am an Aussie And I do have an Australian woman's thinking in many respects and, you know, I see humour when other people don't find things funny and, you know, like I don't believe in stratification and you're not better than me or I'm not better than that person because everyone's here together and I was really holding on to the mythology of Australiana so dearly during my time in India and whether or not that served me, I still, the, the jury's out because I refused to assimilate in many respects. I wanted to be that intelligent girl because in Australia people respected you if you said you had a law degree. They understood what it took to get there, but I was now in an industry where that was considered threatening and you know as if you were too big for your boots. So I think my first real interactions were people trying to make me feel small or put me in a box. Because I escaped Australia so early, there wasn't any real scar around that. I mean, looking back, I can see how subliminally there was, but not in, in an in-your-face way, you know, forgetting the kids in the playground because that, that's everyone. But when I went to India, I was really shocked because everything I'd imagined for what hard work should beget was not the case and the hard work was almost... Yeah, it was almost not expected. It's sort of like if you don't come from that place, a lot of the people in Bollywood already are born into families. You know, they have someone sort of like manoeuvring behind the scenes to make sure that they're the one that gets the role. And I had none of that. And I had proven quite a few people wrong in the pursuit of my dream. And unfortunately, I think at the time I felt like, The industry didn't love the fact that I'd succeeded. (laughs) While it was incredible in terms of, yes, I achieved this childhood dream, it made me think so much about this thing that I talk about today. What is my dharma? What is the path I want to be on? Do I want to just now be one of the cool kids in India at the expense of so many who are sidelined and made peripheral here as well, you know, and to be a part of a hegemony and nucleus When actually I possess minority consciousness. So, you know, these were questions going through my over-intellectualizing mind. Whereas my dad was like, I can't believe that you (laughs) made the community was was going apeshit in Australia. And I was just like, but what does this mean? You know, what am I contributing to? So yeah, the cerebral elements of my brain always get me in trouble. And therefore, after doing three big films, I said I wanted to start working in Australia again and start What's been interesting is then when I became a working actress in Australia, I almost had to erase my Bollywood past from that narrative because that was so foreign and so other in the Australian performing arts industry and you want to make sure that people aren't going to judge you as a diva or so many things. So it sort of started again. How do you fit back in and how do you make sure? So it's like every few years I just want to do this to myself. I'm not sure what it is. <laughs> do you get exhausted? I mean there is so, so much died. that
1: you put on your shoulders. Are there times when you just think, you know what, I don't have to, to do this for everyone, but it seems like you carry this load with you.
0: Yeah, I think that's been a part of my personality since I was a kid. I was like this like little think a child would sit in the corner and ask my mum are you happy mum you know and she was like what's wrong with my child (laughs) just relax and play but I think you know and I I meet other souls like this where you are always wondering is everyone around you happy is am I how am I affecting other people's energy and how can I be of use in some aspects and that I wish I could just wake up in the morning and be like I'm just gonna go to the spa today and then grab, grab a wine later have a pizza and chill out." But I just, it's very difficult, which is where I think yoga and meditation really help ground me. But, yes, I have gotten to a point where I'm like, be nice to, like, go on a date. (laughs) (laughs) And I tell you what, you would be such a catch. (laughs) You would. (laughs) Thank you. Although every time I go on a date, I come away and people are just like, I think it was a bit intimidated by you, and I'm like, (laughs) great. Well, then they're not worth
1: it. The point is the person who is going to be right for you is someone who just is like, oh, my God, look at this soul. She is just extraordinary. I'm going to lift (laughs) her up and as opposed to feeling intimidated. I wonder where
0: are you happiest or when are you happiest? I think in moments of connection so now being one such moment when I speak with when there's that resonance you know we're like two humans or more humans whether it's through dance movement at a party or in on a film set on an airplane where you just meet so it's just that moment of humans connecting because we don't do that much anymore I feel and that's who we're, that's what it is. It's in our DNA to do that. It's we're tribal people that are meant to be in communities. And so building community and living in community is where joy is sparked. I will say I get a lot of peace, ironically, from being quite alone and introspecting. For me, it's, it's just living every day well and being so grateful. And I'm again, lucky that the spiritual path that I was put on by virtue of my culture which so many people are coming to today through yoga and through you know so many new you know mindfulness gurus and apps and all the things that is available to us this is a knowledge and a culture that was passed down for thousands of years, you know, where I came from. So I feel really blessed. How lucky am I that that was already in my genes and in my family? So just coming back to those principles, those first principles really grounds me and just trying not to let the highs be too high or the lows be too low, you know, and just being, being quite steady there and, um, yeah, finding finding that equilibrium has been really good. I
1: feel talking with you that you're always <laughs> striving And I would love to know that there's a time when you can feel like,
0: ah. My daydream is literally sitting in the backyard of our home in Melbourne at my childhood home where my parents still are and the sprinklers being on and Dad with a stubby, Cricket's on, the pressure cooker's going because Mum's making dal and my brother and I are watching Cricket on and off and having some silly comments. Like, honestly, my what I imagine is peace now and chilling out is just that image that I have of my childhood when we first moved from Perth to Melbourne and those hot summer days. So that for me is the moment that like I'll stop striving when I can just be with my family and that's the pause I think that I need and that gives me the energy to then go back out and be out there for everyone else.
1: And you are there for everyone else you bring me joy. When I see you, see your beautiful face via Zoom, when I see you on the big screen and on our TV screens, you have this beautiful way about you. And thank you for being you because you are making the world a better place. You really are.
0: Thank you, Jess. Thank you so much for those words so much love. You're incredible. Thank you. As are you. When I went home that day from Sydney, I remember I flew home and I said to my mom in my Indian accent, because it's a speech, I was like, "Mom, I met Jess Raw and she was so nice to me. <laughs> oh! <laughs> so you left a very long lasting impression. If I had more people like you in my life, you know, I'd be very abundant I'm already abundant but I hope that many people get to meet mentors like yourself in their life
1: oh you'll make me cry that's so beautiful <laughs> thank you you are just an amazing woman I love you to bits and maybe even I love you more than my husband loves you <laughs>
0: <laughs> don't do that just tell your husband now you guys can go away and find me a husband and then we'll just have a big Bollywood party at my wedding <laughs>
1: Oh, well, I cannot wait for the wedding. I can't wait for the dancing. I just can't wait to give you a hug. You're wonderful. Oh,
0: amazing. Well, I'll see you next time I'm in Sydney.
1: Yay. So much love, beautiful. Thank you. I could just talk and talk and talk to Pallavi. Isn't she just a brainiac? There's so much that she says that makes you think, but also she exudes joy and this extraordinary inner beauty now she is starring at the moment in the fabulous rom-com wedding season which is available to watch now on Netflix I loved it PD loved it my daughters loved it it's a really feel good film for the whole family and it also makes you think and it did make me weep a little bit it's a beautiful movie Now, for more big conversations like this, follow the Jess Big Talk Show podcast. And while you're there, leave a review, share it with a friend, spread the word. And if you enjoyed this episode with Pahlavi, you might like my chat with Nazim Hussain. Bringing happiness to other people and making them feel the way
0: I feel when someone does it to me fulfills me too. So that's a really nice thing that I take from my religion, that serving others serves yourself.
1: The Jess Rowe Big Talk Show was presented by me, Jess Rowe. Executive producer, Nick McClure. Audio producer, Nikki Sitch. Supervising producer, Sam Kavanagh. Until next time, remember to live big. Life is just too crazy and glorious to waste time on the stuff that doesn't matter. Listener.